Good morning, everybody. Hope you had a good Christmas. It's good to see you. Let me just say this right at the beginning. First of all, it's good to see some familiar faces today. It's good to see some people. Um, KB, wonderful to see you. Love y'all. We have Gina, who is here. Hey, Gina. And we have Brother Stacy Morgan, who is here with us. I'm so glad that you're here to join us. Can you stand with us as we begin? And let me do do this. I want to give total permission. It is perfectly okay today to be all up in your fields. So let's do this. Let's begin in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. As we turn our attention to what Christ continually does for us. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Say this with me. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are sons and daughters of the living God today. And we can call to our Father. We can cry, Abba, Father, to Him today. So in these next couple of minutes, let's sing to our God, declare His worthiness to remember the finished work of the cross together. sufficient merit sing us together with me all sufficient merit shining like the sun a fortune I inherit by no work I have done my righteousness I forfeit at my Savior's cross where all sufficient merit did what I could not. In love, in love he condescended, eternal now in time. A life without a blemish, the maker made to die. The law could never save us, our lawlessness had won. Until the pure and spotless Lamb had finally come. Sing a sound, it is done. It is done, it is finished, no more dead. 
left glory to embrace a sinner's cross. No other king brings paupers in to sit upon his throne. No other God who was and is is still as yet to come. There is no one, no other truth, no other truth can break all chains to see. No other law could swallow death and seal eternity. No other name will drive each man and creature to the knee. There is no one like you, Jesus. For you alone to conquer death. You alone have authored life. You alone uphold all things by your word of power. For you alone give every breath. You alone hear every cry. You alone can bear the weight of all that we desire. Only All chains and open eyes to see. No other love could swallow death and seal eternity. No other name could drive a creature to a knee. There is no one like you, Jesus. For you alone have conquered death. For you alone give every breath, you alone hear every cry, you alone can bear the weight of all that we desire. Up, holy power unending, wrapped in selfless love, let every idol crumble. Created things give away, every rival humbled. You alone remain. What could stand against you? Who would dare rise up, holy? power unending, wrapped in selfless love, every every rival humbled, you alone remain, you alone
is strength There is strength within the sorrow There is beauty in our tears And you meet us in our morning With the love that cast out are working in our waiting, sanctifying us, when beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust your plans, your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You are faithful forever and perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You are. You are wisdom on who could understand your ways reigning high above the heavens reaching down in endless grace you're the lifter you're the lifter of the Lord Passionate and kind, you surround, you surround, and you uphold me. And your promises are mighty light. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Perfect in love, you are sovereign over us. Yes, you are. You are sovereign over turn it for our good you turn it for our good and for your glory even in the valley you are faithful you're working for our good you're working for our good and for your glory even what the enemy means for evil you turn it for our good you turn it for our good and for your glory even in the valley you are faithful you're working for our good you're working for our good for your glory your plans are still to prosper you have not forgotten us 
You're with us in the fire and the blood. You are faithful forever and perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Sing that again. Your plans, your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the blood. You are faithful forever and perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. And you are faithful forever and perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. Once more. You are faithful forever and perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. This week, as we've uh, approached um, today, as we look forward, one word just kept coming to my mind this week, and that's seasons. There are very few things in our lives that are for our entire lives. Most things in our lives are for seasons. But there are also things that remain in the midst of every season that we go through. I'm going to read a passage that I don't think we've ever read on a Sunday morning. But it seemed appropriate today. That is Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We read this over us today. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. And a time for war and a time for peace. So this morning, I just want to do this. I just want to lift up a prayer of thanksgiving for this season. For all of the, the things that were difficult, but also the things that were glorious too. Thank you. I'm thankful that God is sovereign over his people and that as we move on to this next season, he's the same God. So can you pray with me? Just, let's just thank the Lord for this season in the life of our church. Lord, as I look at this passage in Ecclesiastes, in the line where it says, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. Lord, I thank you that 
as we look upon this past season, Lord, that there have been many things. There have been, there has been both planting and harvesting. Lord, that you have done things in our midst. Lord, in the midst of, of families represented here, Lord, that we may never know about. Lord, that we know that your presence has been with us. Lord, we know that your presence will go with us. And so thank you, Lord, for your merciful, sustaining hand in these past nine and a half years in our church. Lord, thank you that you have been in control, that you have done things that only you can do. Lord, thank you for the gift of the body, the gift of the church. Lord, thank you that your church will prevail in every season. Lord, thank you that your word will prevail in every season. So, Lord, I pray that for every one of us in this room, as we move forward, help us to cling to you, to cling to your words, to cling to your goodness with everything that we are. Lord, show forth your goodness in this next season. Thank you that you are on your throne, King Jesus that no one can dethrone you. That you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can we sing this last song together? Love is sure. 
Jesus, or we, as we do every day, as we need to do every day, we give our lives to you fully for your work, for your glory, for your service. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your incredible, worthy name. Um, so that there is no Bibleville today, as it's the fifth Sunday, so kids can stay in here today. Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 147. I was sitting in, uh, I drove my mother-in-law's truck this morning here uh, because there are a couple of things I need to bring with me. 
And I sat out in the parking lot for a minute after I parked, obviously kept the truck running because it was cold outside. Um, And I looked at our building and I was thankful for this place and what it's meant to us the last 10 years. And I was even more grateful though for the thought that came after that, which is we don't serve this building. We don't look for a golden age of our church. We look for a kingdom that Christ will bring with him. The ancient of days. These songs that have meant so much to us over the years mean something a little different. They hit different today, don't they? They did for me. So I'm going to try to pull it together for our last day together as a body. What do you say on a day like today? Our last day as Wardville Community Church. What, what, what? How do you sum up 10 years of joy, sorrow, difficulty, comfort, growth, peace, relationship in a matter of words? I mean, how do you sum up ministry over a decade in 40 minutes, hopefully less? Probably not, though. What, what could possibly give voice to all the emotions we find ourselves feeling today? Like standing on the precipice of such a major change, what is sufficient? When we're filled with the bittersweet mixture of sadness, uncertainty, gratitude, and anticipation, isn't it all the more important that we fix our eyes on Jesus and ground ourselves in the great goodness of God. I had originally planned this morning to preach from Hebrews 13 again. But as I read my Bible on Wednesday morning this week, the Lord spoke to me through the words of Psalm 147. And I hope that he will speak to you similar words. What I, what I have found in studying this week... Uh, the, the last few days, th- this text, is that it doesn't need explanation in a lot of the ways that texts of Scripture often need explanation. What it really needs is for us to look deeply at it, what it uh, and, and what it means for us. Not necessarily what it means, but like what it should mean to us. Because what it means is pretty evident by the words that are there. Thankfully so. And so what we really need to do today is to look at our God and to worship our God, to praise the Lord. So let's spend our last morning together looking at our God and praising him. So stand with me and let's read Psalm 147. If you would like to have a, an outline there on the back table, they also have this psalm on the back of it. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. 
Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass to grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, it is fitting that we praise you. And so I pray that you would stir up our affections once again toward yourself as we prayerfully, hopefully savor your word and see with fresh eyes what comfort and encouragement this has for us. Lift our gazes past circumstances and toward the ancient of days. Lift our gaze toward Jesus. We thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And Jesus, we thank you that you gave yourself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify us and that you're bringing a kingdom full of life and light and peace and joy and abundance. So Christ, bring light and life to us this day. Open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law. Unite our hearts to fear your name. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. And incline our hearts to your testimonies. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I decided to go out pretty strong today. Eight points in our sermon. That's right. Not just three, not just four, eight. But I do think they'll go quickly. So also keep, please keep the babies in here. I know it's going to be loud. I know, I know that they might be loud. This is our last Sunday together. It's okay. We're going to, we're going to be okay. Um, As much as you can, stay here today. The first thing that we need to see is that this is a song of praise that calls forth praise. It's a song of praise that calls forth praise. 
You see that in verses 1, 7, 12, and 20. This psalm is a song of praise to God. It reveals and declares profound truths about our God and offers him worship on the basis of those truths. Worship is inextricably woven together with truth. Worship that does not come from truth is bare emotion. Worship that is not founded upon truth dishonors God. Worship that is untruthful dishonors God. So what we see is declarations of truth about who God is, what he's done, and then praise based on that truth. Praise that is true that is based on that truth. But this is not only a song of praise, it's a song of praise that commands and calls forth praise from God's people. It reminds God's people who their God is, calls them to see it with their eyes and invites them to be impressed with him along with the author, right? So this is who your God is, see it, see it clearly and then be impressed with me about who this God is for his people. As you see this great God revealed in this song of praise, it should move you to want to praise him. It's a song of praise that calls forth praise. In four places, verse one, he says, praise the Lord. It's good to sing praises. It's pleasant. It's fitting. It's appropriate. A song of praise is appropriate on the lips of God's people if they know who God is and God's people know who God is. Okay, verse seven, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving, make melody. Verse 12, praise the Lord, O Jerusalem, praise your God, O Zion. Verse 20, at the very end, praise the Lord. Praise Yahweh, he says. So those four verses command what is happening also in the song, which is praise to the Lord. And the rest of the psalm is an explanation of why it's fitting and right and good, appropriate and pleasant that the people of God should sing and praise him. So the, the remaining seven points are gonna come from the rest of the psalm and they're stated uh, as if I am the psalmist inviting you to see what he sees, okay? So in verses two and three, you are invited to look at his compassion. You're invited to look at your God's compassion. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Our God condescends to the hurting, seeking out the broken and defenseless. The ones that society pushes to the margins and rejects, our God runs after. And he comes to them with healing in his hands. Right? He gathers the outcast. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up the wounds of the hurting. Our God has a great compassionate heart and he acts in love toward all those who are downtrodden and outcast. This compassion is the very heart of the good news of Jesus. God himself came down and took the form of a servant, touched the untouchable, healed the sick, loved the unlovable, delivered the oppressed, defended the vulnerable, and then died in the place of sinners for their sins 
so that they could be forgiven and restored and gathered together. Look at his compassion. If you find yourself this morning perplexed, hurting, or weighed down with uncertainty or concerns, look, see it. Look at his compassionate heart. He sees you. He verses really are amazing. Again, the, the trouble is not so much in understanding what these words mean. It's, it's in wrapping your head around the reality that they describe, which is why I think it's so good that we're remind, just all I'm trying to do is remind you of these truths today. I'm not teaching you anything new. Look what it says. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names. This is amazing. There is nothing that God doesn't know. Modern science has, by and large, demystified much about the universe. But the more we discover, the more we ought to be mystified by it. Every discovery that we make shows us things that we didn't, don't, and can't know thoroughly because of the vastness of the universe and our own limitations, limitations of understanding, technical abilities and capacities, and and just simple lifespan, right? Like we can see that there are stars that are thousands of light years away. We will never be able to, we, We'll never be able to study them because we don't live thousands of years and we don't have the ability to travel to them. And even if we got there, can we understand the power? We can't even get close enough without melting to them. Like, we'll, we'll never, even if we could get there, we won't know thoroughly, exhaustively the things about these stars that are tiny specks in the sky. And the more stars that we discover, what it should do for us, the more universe, like the more, sorry, there are one universe, the more galaxies that we discover, like all that should show us is number one, the vastness of our ignorance. The bigger we find the universe to be, the bigger we should understand our ignorance to be. But at the same time, on the other side of that coin, it should reveal to us the vast magnificence of the exhaustive knowledge of God. Because every star that we didn't know about that we do now is one that he spoke into existence and knows exhaustively. There is no mystery about this star that we just discovered to our God. So at the same time that it reveals to us our vast ignorance, it actually shows us more of the exhaustive knowledge of God and it should simply mystify us as we have revealed to our own spiritual sight this chasm, infinite in its stretch between our wisdom and the perfect wisdom of God. We simply cannot count the stars. And God says, in his sublime understanding, God determined their number and names them. 
Two things. Here is permission not to understand everything. And here is permission to be weak. Right? It says here, he's abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. This is freedom from the pressure to be enough. This is freedom from the pressure to understand everything. This is permission to be a creature. It's okay to be a creature because that's what you are. You rely on his strength and his wisdom, not your own. And the second thing is the more evident that this endless chasm of understanding between you and God becomes to you, the more evident that that becomes to your sight, the more you ought to trust him and distrust yourself. Like, of course you won't understand everything. But just because you don't doesn't mean he doesn't. You have the opportunity to trust someone with perfect wisdom and it's not you. And in that perfect wisdom, coupled with that perfect compassion that we saw above, what we find is that as Charles Spurgeon said, he orders all things for your good. As a finite creature, the wisest thing you can do is trust this God. Be mystified by his wisdom and rely on his wisdom. Don't be wise in your own sight. Just be wise and trust his wisdom. In verse 6, we are invited to rest in his justice. Rest in his justice. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Even though in a broken world the wicked seem to prosper, rest assured that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. He humbles the exalted and exalts the humble. In his kingdom, the first are last and the last are first. In other words, God is just. He is righteous. I'm gonna be incredibly vulnerable with you for a minute. There are times over the past several years that I have come here later on a Sunday than I normally do, which is relatively early. And I've driven by the parking lots of other churches that I would say are less faithful to the gospel and the Bible than we try to be. Right? I, am, I am by no means proclaiming that we are perfectly faithful to the Bible. I don't want anybody to hear that. We strive to be though. We strive to believe what the scriptures teach. And if I can be honest, there are just churches that don't give two hoots about what God's word says, okay? And I drive by on the way here and I see parking lots overflowing with cars. Doesn't that feel backwards? Like there are even, there are cults around us that seem to thrive and are busting at the seams. <laughs> Three things, real quick. Number one, the kingdom of God is not based on works. As though by our own somehow faithfulness, we could earn 
a, a bigger budget, a bigger building, more baptism, like whatever, it, whatever, however you want to measure success. We don't earn success from God. Number two, the kingdom of God, the church is not a formula. If you put the exact right outputs in that you get the inputs and you get this output every time, like a mathematical formula, it doesn't work like that. And number three, it is an invitation to rest in God's justice, his righteousness. Things do not always work out the way that we choose in this life. But we can entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while continually doing good because he's righteous. And his righteousness even if our circumstances look the opposite of God's righteousness and would commend to us something different, right? We can trust that it will be, his righteousness will be fully proved in eternity. Because in this broken, sin-sick world, the wicked do prosper and the righteous do suffer, but not so on the day of eternity. It will be fully revealed And it will be fully satisfying for the people of God. And so for now, even when you don't see it, even when it looks the opposite, even when it doesn't feel like it, rest in God's justice. Know that he is righteous. Trust. The wicked will not prosper, nor the righteous suffer forever. Rest in his justice. He lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Verses 8 through 11, let me invite you to depend on his sufficiency. <clears throat> he covers the clouds, the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. Again, these are not difficult to understand. Like these words, I don't have to explain what this means. God makes grass grow. That's what it says. He makes rain. He brings clouds into the sky and makes water fall from them to water the grass that he makes to grow. He gives to the beasts their food. That lion that you see on National Geographic chasing that gazelle, and it looks like all of that power and speed overcame that gazelle. Like That's God feeding that lion. He gives the beasts their food. Psalm 104, jump there with me quickly. Look at 27 through 30. These all look for you, uh, look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide their, your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they're created and you renew the face of the ground. That, that they and these, that's talking about verse 24. The earth is full of your creatures. What a gracious, all-sufficient God. Look how he gives rain and food on his good world. 
This is pointing out to us that all of creation is wholly dependent upon God. There is no human, no creature that is independent. As much as we might like to think that we are. All things are dependent upon him. In fact, God is the only being who is independent. Who, no one else is necessary for God to exist. But God is necessary for everything else to exist. Everything under the sun Everything depends on God. Nobody gives God food. Nobody feeds God. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. Again, just marvel at that. God says, I know all the birds of the hills. And all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world in its fullness are mine. So first of all, God doesn't get hungry. But just supposing he did, he's not knocking on your door in the middle of the night saying, I need a snack. (laughs) Nobody gives God food. He needs nothing, which is why in verse 10, it says his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. God doesn't need a strong beast. He doesn't need strong men. God doesn't need what you can provide. But I love that this, this more than any other verse, verse 11 more than any other verse is really what sealed the deal on preaching this today. What does God delight in? What does he take pleasure in? It's not the strength of a horse. It's not the legs of men. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. What gives God pleasure? What impresses God? The answer is those who know they're dependent and therefore act like they're dependent. He is not impressed with strength, skill, speed, or cunning. God is impressed by those who are impressed with him. That's what he's after. That's what he wants from his people is to see and to marvel and to fear, and to hope. Hope in his steadfast love. That's your only hope. That is your only hope, is the steadfast love of the Lord. So hope in that, not your strength, not what you can provide God. So three quick takeaways from that. First, more than anything else, what you need most is God. More than, like, God created us with a need for community. You know what you need more than community? God. God graciously gave us a Bible, and we need it to know about him. But do you know what you need even more than the Bible? God. And I, 
Hopefully, after seven years, you would know that I would never, I would never seek to lessen the importance of the Bible in your mind. But this is only good insofar as it points us to the God who is there. You know what you need more than a pastor? God. More than a preacher? God. More than food or water? You need God. Second, depend on him as your only hope. If it's true that what you need is God, and if it's true that in the gospel, what God has given you is God, then why would you look elsewhere for hope? Why would you put your eggs in any other basket than that? Hope in his steadfast love. Fear him and depend on him as your only hope. Third, if we're to become like God, like his son Jesus, and he's not impressed with the strength of the horse or the legs of men, shouldn't we likewise fight to become less impressed with the things that impress the world? And how do we do that other than fighting to become more impressed with God? Verses 13 and 14, they show us, they invite us to see God as the source of every good. See God as the source of every good. He strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children with you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of wheat. You have in those two verses, strength, Blessing, peace, and provision. It's deeply interrelated with the last point, but it's made differently here. So because God is all-sufficient, as we saw in the last handful of verses, that means then that he is the source of strength, blessing, peace, and provision. Those things are not found outside of him. Again, what you need most isn't peace. You need God who gives peace. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Right? James 1:17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Do not dare believe the lie that you are the source of or the ultimate reason for the good things in your life. That is so anti-gospel. The gospel is that all of your life, believer, is all of grace. You deserve nothing, yet God has given you everything in Christ. He is the source of every good. Verses 15 through 18, we're invited to behold the power of his word. Right? Just let your eyes peruse those verses, 15 through 18. God's word effortlessly brings forth snow, frost, and unbearable cold. It says, who can stand before his cold? His word then just as easily melts that unbearable cold that if we stayed out in it would kill us. And then he commands the winds and the streams. God's word is powerful. We need to keep this in mind because this really matters for us. God's word created the world God's God's word remade our hearts, bringing us to life and saving us. His word is powerful. 
His word then continues to transform and shape us. So behold the power of God's word and be increasingly acquainted with the power of God's word. And finally, in verses 19 and 20, know his word. Know his word. One of the great distinguishing characteristics between God's people and his enemies has always been his word. That distinction becomes evident here. What separated Israel from the surrounding nations? The law, right? He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He hasn't dealt thus with any other nation. They don't know his rules. What makes the church distinct from the world? God's revelation to us and our trust in and obedience to it. We are set apart and made distinct by his word. What a privilege and what a responsibility. May we always be people of the book. Immerse yourself in it, study it, memorize it, read it, speak it, sing it, treasure it, learn it until you begin to think God's thoughts. Get it in until it comes back out. Know his word. That is what separates God's people from God's enemies here. It's not the only thing, but it's, it's one of them. God marks out his people by his powerful word. And he distinguishes them from the nations by his powerful word. So we had better, therefore, know his word, treasure his word. And he ends with praise the Lord. So because of all this and much more, our hearts should be full of praise for God. For my part, I have a profound sense of praise and gratitude in my heart over what we have studied today and how we have seen these truths play out in our church over the years. I want you to know that I am profoundly glad to know you. to have ministered alongside you, to have laughed and cried with you, and to have had the honor to preach God's powerful word to you week in and week out for nearly seven years. It was two weeks ago, it was seven years ago that I stood on Annie's first birthday and preached my first sermon from this pulpit from Luke 2. And it is among the most distinct privileges of my life to this point to have been your pastor. Because of who God is, I had to write this out because I knew I was I knew this was gonna happen. So please don't sense that I don't mean any of this for the simple fact that I'm reading it, but I just needed to have it written so that maybe I could see it through my blurry eyes now. Because of who God is, I hold no other expectation than that in the next season, we will continue to see him display his compassion, wisdom, justice, sufficiency, power, and faithfulness. And therefore, we will continue to have ample reasons to praise him. So, on a day like today, when it's difficult to know exactly what to say, 
it seems fitting to let these two phrases, which encapsulate Psalm 147, to be the final words from my mouth in a sermon from this pulpit. Look, look at our God and praise the Lord. Father, fix our eyes on Christ alone. Thank you for your compassion, your wisdom, your justice, your sufficiency, your faithfulness, your power. Thank you for the way that your word shapes a people into the image of your son. And Lord, as we move forward together, please continue to do those things. Give us yourself in abundant measure. Help us to have a profound sense that we are fully, amply provided for and supplied by our all-sufficient God. Help us rest in your righteousness. Help us be mystified by your wisdom. Help us look at and feel your compassion and help us know your word. May we depend on your sufficiency in all things and fit us for your kingdom. Make it our hope. Thank you for these men and women and children. Would you bless them? Would you draw near to them? And would you be to them everything that they need in this moment and through eternity? We make this prayer through Christ. Amen. So we make our turn to the Lord's table. As we do every week and in the kindness of the Lord as we'll continue to do every week at Alpine. There's bread and there's a cup. And these are highly symbolic. They are a sign of the new covenant that God has made with his people and kept through Jesus. And the signs themselves actually show us the way in which he made the new covenant. We were sinful. We did not deserve anything from God. We were rebels against him. We hated his authority. We lived for ourselves. And yet God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive with Christ. Because Jesus came into this world, lived a perfect, law-fulfilling life in our place, was crucified and died on a cross that should have been ours to pay the penalty for our sins. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. This is how God made this new covenant with us. The broken bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken instead of yours. 
the cup represents the blood of Jesus that was poured out instead of yours. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is a precious reality for the people of God. And this is a precious sign of that reality. And because of that, this, rea- this, this sign of the covenant is not to be despised by people. So if you don't trust fully in the Lord Jesus, if you've not repented of your sins and are walking with him in obedience, this table is not for you. Do not come. Be warned that you would be eating and drinking in disobedience, which may result in eating or drinking judgment upon yourself. We don't wish that for you. We would implore you to take Jesus instead of the bread and the cup. So if you want to do that, if you want to surrender and yield yourself to Jesus as Lord, then come. I would love to pray with you. But take Jesus instead of the bread and the cup. If you are one of Christ's sheep, who has repented and trusted him and walking in obedience. This table is open for you. I pray that you meet with your king at this table. You meet with your good shepherd, that he nourishes you and strengthens you, that you see him afresh as the source of all good at this table. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, thank you. Thank you for the body of Jesus broken for us, the blood of Jesus shed for us so that we could be forgiven and set free and healed and restored so that outcasts could be gathered, wounded could be healed, wounds could be bound up and lost could be saved. Thank you for your great compassion. Help us to love others as you've loved us. Make us people who are like Jesus. And let this moment of eating and drinking, let it be one step in that direction for us. Bring us toward repentance and faith. Give us great hope in your steadfast love. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Tables open.
Jesus Christ is one So I can face tomorrow For tomorrow's in your hands All I need you will provide Just like you always have I'm fighting a battle already won no matter what comes my way I will overcome don't know what you're doing I know what you've done I'm fighting a battle you've already say 
again we remember that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me let's eat writes in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's drink he says for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes just one announcement We'll see you next week, Lord willing.
at Alpine. Um, I need, and of course, in typical Wardville fashion, I don't know uh, if they're going to have Sunday school or not. So we'll have to just keep you posted on that. If, it, if they are having Sunday school, they are? Okay, 930. And there's kids Sunday school as well. So there's youth as well. So 930 Sunday school, 1030 service. Lord willing, we'll see you there. Yes, and some of, some of our children's workers are going to be there for the first few weeks to help that transition for our kids also. So, what? For two months, I'm being told. Two months. Um, so, yeah, I hope to see you then. I didn't see you on Monday, so Merry Christmas. And if I don't see you tomorrow, Happy New Year. Anything else, Kevin?